Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This is going to be for 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent out every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that were in Geba, and Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also had had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, thirty thousand chariots. It is believed that this figure is an error in transcription. One prominent Bible authority discussed the problem and gave the opinion that the correct figure is 3,000. So it's not 30,000 chariots, but 3,000 chariots. That was by Clark from the Bible Commentary. And 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth, Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves, and in thickets, and in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. So this was a test uh, that Samuel had given to Saul. It was not long before Saul began to have an exaggerated opinion of his power and importance. This tendency is natural to men who forget the Lord and trust in themselves. The prophet Joseph Smith said, We have learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men, as soon as they get a little authority as they suppose, that they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. It is true that this was a time of great crisis. The Philistines were amassed in great strength, and the people were deserting from Saul's army. When Samuel was late in coming, Saul took things into his own hands and offered the sacrifices. This action was a great sin. Think also of Saul, who had been called from the field to make king of the nation. When the Philistines were marshaled against Israel in Michmash, Saul waited for Samuel, under whose hand he had received his kingly anointing, and to whom he had looked in the, in the days of his humility for guidance. He asked that the prophet come and offer sacrifices to the Lord in behalf of the people. But growing impatient at Samuel's delay, Saul prepared the burnt offering himself, forgetting that though he occupied the throne, wore the crown, and bore the scepter, these insignia of kingly power gave him no right to officiate even as a deacon in the priesthood of God. And for this and other instances of his unrighteous presumptuousness or presumption, he was rejected of God and another was made king in his place. That was by James E. Talmadge. The circumstances were critical, but one of the purposes of mortality is to demonstrate that one will remain faithful and obedient under all circumstances. Saul failed that test and thereby lost his right to be God's representative of the people. 
That was from the manual. Verse 10, And it came to pass that as soon as he made an, an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the, of the Lord thy God, which, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom from Israel forever, upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him, hath, hath sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath, hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and gat him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son, and the people that were present with them, abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. The folly of Saul's conduct must indeed have been evident to all. He had not waited long enough, and yet too long. So far as his followers were concerned, which after the sacrifice amounted to only about 600 men. On the other hand, the only motive which, even politically speaking, could have brought numbers to his ranks or fired them with courage was a, a religious belief in the help of Jehovah, of which Saul's breach of the divine command and the defection of Samuel would threaten to deprive Israel. But still there are questions involved in the divine punishment of Saul which require most earnest attention, not only for the vindication but even for the proper understanding of this history. To the first question which arises why Samuel thus unduly delayed his journey to Gilgal, apparently without necessary reason, we can, in fairness, only return the answer that his delay seems to have been intentional quite as much as that of our blessed Lord after he had heard of the sickness of Lazarus and when he knew of his death. But if intentional, its object only can only have been to test the character of Saul's kingdom. Upon this, of course, the permanency of that kingdom would depend. We have already seen that Saul represented the, the kind of monarchy which Israel wished to have established. Saul's going down to Gilgal to offer sacrifices and yet not offering them properly. His unwillingness to enter on the campaign without having entreated the face of Jehovah and yet offending him by disobedience. His waiting so long and not long enough, his trust in the, in the help of Jehovah, and yet his distrust when his followers left him, his evident belief in the absolute efficacy of sacrifices as an outward ordinance, irrespective of the inward sacrifice of heart and will, are all exactly representative of the religious state of Israel. But although Israel had sought and in Saul obtained a monarchy after their own heart, yet as Samuel had intimated in Gilgal, the Lord in his infinite mercy was willing to forgive and to turn all for good if Israel would only fear the Lord and serve him in truth. Upon this conversation or upon this conversion, so to speak, of Israel's royalty into the kingdom of God, the whole question turned. <clears throat> For either Israel must cease to be the people of the Lord, or else the principle on which its monarchy was founded must become spiritual and divine. And consequently, any government that contravened this must be swept away to give place to another. If it be asked what this divine principle of monarchy was to be, we have no hesitation in answering that it was intended to constitute a kingdom in which the will of the earthly should be 
should be in avowed subjection to that of the heavenly king. This was right in itself. It was expressive of the covenant relationship by which Jehovah became the God of Israel and the Israel of, of the people of Jehovah and Israel, the people of Jehovah, and it embodied the typical idea of the kingdom of God to be fully realized in the king of the Jews, who came, who, who came not to do his own will, but that of his Father in heaven, even to the bitter agony of the cup in Gethsemane and the sufferings of Golgotha. Saul was the king after Israel's own heart, David the king after God's own heart, not because of his greater piety or goodness, but because despite his failings and his sins, he fully embodied the divine idea of Israel's kingdom. And for this reason, also he and his kingdom were the type of our Lord Jesus Christ and of his kingdom. In what has been said, the second great difficulty, which among which almost instinctively arises in our minds on reading the his, this history, has in part been anticipated. It will easily be understood that this great question had, if ever, to be tested and decided at the very commencement of Saul's reign, and before he engaged in any great operations, the success or failure of which might divert the mind. If to be tried at all, it must be on its own on its own merits and re- irrespective of results. Still, it must be admitted that the first feeling with most of us is that considering the difficulties of Saul's position, the punishment awarded to him seems excessive. Yet it only seems, but it is not such. Putting aside the idea of his perpetual rejection, or of his personal rejection and dethronement, neither of which was implied in the words of Samuel, the sentence upon Saul only embodied this principle that no monarchy could be enduring in Israel, which did not own the supreme authority of God. As Adam's obedience was tested in a seemingly small manner, small matter, and his failure involved that of his race, so also in the case of Saul. His partial obedience and his anxiety to offer the sacrifices as in his mind in themselves efficacious only rendered it the more necessary to bring to the foreground the great the great question of absolute unquestioning and, and believing submission to the will of heavenly of the heavenly king Saul's kingdom had shown itself not to be God's kingdom and its continuance was henceforth quite impossible however different their circumstances Saul was as unfit for the inheritance of the kingdom with the promises that this implied and the, and the typical meaning it bore as Esau had been for the inheritance of the firstborn with all that it conveyed in the present and in the near and in the distant future that was by Edersheim Verse 17, And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Orpha, or Afra, unto the land of Shual. And another company turned the way to Beth Horan, and another company turned to the way of the, of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeb, Zeboim, toward the wilderness. Now there was no smith found there throughout all the land of Israel, that means that they didn't have the skill to work with iron. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make these or make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share or plowshare and his coulter or a cutter on a plow to cut the, cut the turf and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had not a file for the mattocks or an implement for digging and grubbing a grubbing, a grubbing hoe. And for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and for the sharpen and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there, was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. 
And so anyway, they don't, they're not very well armed against the Philistines, and yet here they go to battle. So that's the end of chapter 13, and we'll see you next time. Bye.